This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. There's a lot of questions and potential controversy about birth control. So in this episode, we do talk to Dr. Sophia Yen, who is an adolescent medicine specialist. So take a listen to the episode and learn her perspective on birth control. I'd love to uh, learn more about, you know, your background and and why you ended up starting Pandia Health. Went to MIT for undergrad, UCSF for medical school, Children's Oakland to specialize in young children, and then went back to UCSF to specialize in teenagers and young adults. So what we call sex, drugs, rock and roll, a little acne and some sports medicine. And then (laughs) um, being an academic, you have to subspecialize or, you know, you just can't do everything. You have to do research in a particular field. And my passion has always been those with uteri and preventing unplanned pregnancy and making sure that we can do whatever it is that we want to do in this world, um, you know, not be marred by random, you know, effects, et cetera. So decided to specialize in birth control and emergency contraception, everybody's knowledge of it, physician's knowledge of it, and access to confidential reproductive health care, access to um, sex ed. So those have all been kind of packed passions in my life. And then about six years ago, I was giving a talk to a bunch of doctors. Why don't those women take their pesky birth control? Why do they keep getting unplanned pregnant? You know, And one of the top reasons was because they didn't have the medication in their hand. They didn't right. have time to go to the pharmacy every single month for 20 to 40 years of their lives. And the insurance companies are evil and will only let you do it for these seven days. And if you plan, you usually run out on a Sunday, then you go the weekend before and they're like, "Uh uh-uh, you would come back tomorrow. And you're like, I was, I'm here now and don't have time. I have things to do. I have children, I have work, I have other stuff. Sorry, you know? And so our idea was, um, it was kind of, the timing, um, you know, it was Amazon, it was Etsy, it was eBay, everything else was coming in the mail. Why not birth control? And we said, let's make it mobile, delightful. Let's target the 20 year olds and up, you know, cause most mail orders targeting 70 year olds. And we're like, let's start with the young person. She's usually only on one medication and then we'll grow with her as she grows. And so Pandia, we're building the brand that women trust with their health. We are the only women-founded, women-led. We are the only doctor-led company in birth control delivery. You know, I really appreciate that you're willing to connect with me. And this kind of started, I was getting emails from um, your team and I was struck by an email I got where the first bullet point was, you know, how women could avoid their period by taking birth control. And it struck me because on the FemPower Health podcast, I've been interviewing a lot of experts that have great concern over the use of birth control. And so I've started to have my own concerns about it. And, you know, I reached out to your team and I said, look, I, I want to, I, I think my audience deserves to hear all sides so they yeah. can make an educated decision about birth control. And by the way, none of my guests have said, don't take birth control. It's bad. I think the concern is the artificial hormones and the potential masking of symptoms and just simply delaying what could inevitably happen. And, you know, you know, a lot of them have said the IUDs are great, but your mail order IUDs at the doctor. And so I, I really wanted to spend this time, especially since you're a clinician, yes. um, to better understand, like, how do women decide whether to take birth control, what birth control, how long to take it? Uh, so I know it's a ton of questions, but I guess let's just start with the beginning around birth control, because you're right, women deserve the access, but then there's this 
health concern about it. Yeah. No, I listened to um, your interview with Dr. Bryden and I was like, yeah, I agree with what she's saying. I agree with this. I agree with that. And then she said some things and I was like, I'd like to see the paper on that. I would like to see the randomized clinical trial with the data on that, because I'm referring to the New England Journal. I'm referring to the Journal of the American Medical Association, you know, and with studies with 10,000, 40,000 people, what is your, you know, evidence for what you're saying, you know, and we need to agree on facts and we need to agree on data. Right. And my thing is to each their own. If you have periods and they make you happy, go for it. But exactly as many have emphasized, if your periods make you miserable, that is not okay. You need to see a provider. And there are many different ways, you know, to treat that. And I, and I felt that there was definitely common ground on, you know, to each their own, to each decide and to know the risks and the benefits. But my belief is that the benefits outweigh the risks that the latest papers have said the decrease in ovarian endometrial and colorectal cancer outweighs the slight increase in breast cancer. And there's the statistic that if you take the birth control pill, it increases your risk of breast cancer by 13 out of 100,000 women. However, you have to take that in context. If you drink three to six alcoholic beverages a week, which may be a little high, then that increases your risk of breast cancer by 22 out of 100,000. So conversely, if you have that and it's one and a half to three drinks a week, which I don't think is unreasonable, that increases your risk by 11 out of 100,000. So you just have to pick, you know, which risks you're willing to take. But for me, it's also the decreased landfill. It's the decreased quality of life. And the example I give is I was, you know, a pre-med at MIT in the middle of a biochem final and all of a sudden blood, And I'm like, ah, do I run to the bathroom or do I finish the exam? And being a pre-med, I finished the exam. But was I a little distracted? Yes. And I looked to my left, I looked to my right, two people without uteruses, and would that I were they. And the realization that one out of four women in that room were bleeding at that moment, at every single exam, at every single time. And as a feminist, I totally love that I can do everything you do bleeding. You know, I think that's cool. That's really boss. But is that necessary? And the research has shown that if you look at children age six to 16 who have iron deficiency, so we as physicians look for anemia. And once you have anemia, we're like, oh, what's causing that? And then we find out, oh, you've been bleeding all this time and now you have anemia, you have iron deficiency, there's some sort of iron loss, you know, in your life. But they looked at kids who didn't have anemia, but had iron deficiency. And once they gave them back their iron, their IQ scores went up, and their math scores went up as well, because their iron went up. And that's because we aren't supposed to be having as many periods as we're having. We're having 350 to 400 in our lives. And if you um, look at the Dogon tribe in Mali, which Dr. Beverly Strassman studies, the women are banished to the menstruation hut and they have a hundred periods in their lives. And this isn't like hundreds of years ago. This is like now, if you were gonna go now to Africa and study the natural state of the Dogon women and the Mali tribe, Um, in Mali, the Dogon tribe in Mali, you would see that they have 100 periods in their lifetimes. We're having 350 to 400 because we have hypernutrition. We start our periods at 12. They start their periods at 15, 16. They have eight babies. We have two babies. They breastfeed for 12 months exclusively. We breastfeed for zero three or six, and they have seven or eight periods a year. We have 13 periods because as soon as you hit hundred pounds or 22% body fat, that's when you get your period. And so, as you know, we have tons of calories in the industrialized world and in the Dogon tribe in Mali, they don't have as many calories. And so in this state, they're incessantly pregnant or breastfeeding. How many periods you have when you're pregnant? Zero. How many periods do you have incessantly breastfeeding? (laughs) Zero. How many periods do we have over here where we're only having two children? Not saying we should have eight children, but I'm saying the more natural state, 
would be 100 periods in our lives instead of 350 to 400. Here we have ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer. Here there is none. And it's not like they're dying at 20. You know, we're comparing apples to apples. They too are dying 70, 80 years old. And every single time you build that lining, you risk cancer. Because every time you have growth, you can have uncontrolled growth. And that is cancer. Every time you pop out an egg, you risk ovarian cancer. And listening to anybody, if we can quiet down the ovaries, be it through pregnancy or through the pill to patch the ring or any other method that suppresses ovulation, we can decrease your risk of ovarian cancer by 50%. There is no other way to decrease your risk of ovarian cancer other than taking out your ovaries, which I would not recommend. <laughs> the other thing is the colorectal cancer. I find that fascinating. I think I heard on your previous podcast that we as women suck it up. We suffer, right? One in 10 women have endometriosis. One in 10 women have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the pain of endometriosis is so horrific, but they're like, oh, it runs in my family. Just because it runs in your family doesn't mean that it has to be. And that, you know, life is actually better with the hormones being stable rather than up and down and up and down and up and down. And I realized hashtag periods optional when I was trying to get pregnant with my first child because I'd been on the pill, my periods had been so light, but then I was trying to rig girl versus boy. And you can actually push it 75, 25 with the right timing, et cetera. That might be another um, podcast for us to do in the future. But after three normal periods, it was so much blood. I was like, I don't care what gender, just pregnate me because because I can't deal with all this blood anymore. And the realization, the only reason we bleed, and uh, you know, as Dr. Bryden said, the focus is on, shouldn't it be on the bleed, but should be on the ovulation. The only reason we build that lining every month is catch an embryo. Huh? No embryo, bleed, build, bleed, build, bleed, pop out egg. Every time we build, risking endometrial cancer. Every time we pop, risking ovarian cancer. And if we're not trying to get pregnant in the United States, average age 26, or those of us who had more education or took a while to find our significant other, 35, that's 10 to 20 years of build, bleed, build, bleed, build, bleed, risking cancer every single time for no purpose. And so to me, if you're not trying to get pregnant, there's no point in building this lining and bleeding. And, and so if you look at the endometrial lining, if you're on the pill to patch the ring, just like this, I think of it like a level three, but if you're trying to catch a baby, you gotta build it up to level 10 and all that energy and all that blood that's being used and lost is, is a loss for the woman. So as an adolescent medicine specialist, I'm a clinical associate professor at Stanford. I teach other doctors how to write birth control. And I study the science from the data of you know, which birth control pill to prescribe. The point is that you know, it's better to have smooth hormones than to be up and down, up and down, unless you're trying to make a baby. And from the adolescent perspective, when um, a person with a uterus hits adolescence, their hemoglobin goes down and it's because they start to bleed every single month. Imagine if we went up to somebody without a uterus, took a knife, sliced his arm and said, bleed, you know, for three to five right, days. But, but on the flip side, here's what I will say is, you know, because I went through a four-year fertility journey and what I saw through that and through all the experiences of so many of the women I've monitored beyond fertility, you know, when they're struggling with PCOS, endometriosis, Hashimoto's disease, it, it just seems like medicine is very problem medication. And, you know, I read this book and he was talking about how the way medicine is designed is it's great for you have a broken arm, get a cast. You know, you have this, you know, specific um, other thing, something as simple as a broken arm, you know, it's, it's very clear. But when it comes to chronic management, and even though birth control is not chronic management necessarily, I would call it chronic in the sense that yeah, you're it on it for 20, a long time. 40 years of your life. I have come to really struggle and I personally am extremely thoughtful now when I take 
a medication because it does feel like with the evolving you know, system. I've been in healthcare for over 20 years and I've seen it change. You know, now it's 10 minute appointment with doctors. It's not diving deep at root cause. You know, it's, oh, you can't sleep. Here's a sleeping pill. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, here's some birth control. And it just feels so much like quick fixes. You know, I, I think that's where I'm really struggling. And, and also look, there aren't enough clinical trials out there for women's health. And my question is, you know, there are these, these hormones were in the pill specifically, they're not our natural hormones. And, you know, do, have we looked at natural ways of doing this? Could it be that, you know, the women you talked about in Africa, that's because of that's their culture and the way ours has evolved. You know, we talk about human evolution, that it's okay here. And could Dr. Bryden be right that, you have to weigh the risks. Like if you don't have ovarian cancer in your family history, you know, do you necessarily need to worry about the pill? And then there's, you know, other forms of birth control like the IUD. So it's just, it's so incredibly complex. And I think what's hard for me and what I've seen in the past decade is women don't get access to all of this information because of these 10 minute appointments. You know, I hear you talking about the clinical trials and, and may I just say this too. I got pregnant because I went to a reproductive immunologist, a very close friend who had looked at my blood results and shared it with a top expert. They said to me, your immune profile is fine. However, I did get pregnant. And the question I got asked was, where's the clinical trial? Now, this doctor chose not to do clinical trials because he was focused on the patient and he was a one-man shop. So now we have this situation where the trials aren't there and yet women are having to make these decisions with 10 minute appointments. And even if the trials are there, you know, I, again, come from healthcare. I know doctors need to have all the standards shared. Some of them may be updated on standards. Some may not be updated on standards. I mean, it's a hot mess. And, you know, I would just love to get your thoughts because you've got naturopaths that view it one way you know, allopathic doctors are the traditional MDs. It's all about clinical trials. And how do we know? How, how do we know? Yeah. So there are, you know, people, naturopaths that are doing research, that are publishing papers. And so the key as a scientist is just because it happened to one person, Agreed. that is what we call N of one. Right. Agreed. If you can get together a case series of 50 or 100, get your people together and pool those numbers. Sure. And as you know, I'm all about choice. It's about presenting the data out there, but looking at what has numbers behind it and what is one person saying something. Right. Or, you know, somebody that hasn't pooled the numbers. It's just hard. We need to get those numbers. I have you know, a cousin who's a chiropractor, I have an uncle who's an acupuncturist. So I absolutely, and my sister-in-law and her husband are both acupuncturists. So I, I get that there are absolute things that quote, Western medicine does not um, do well, does, and, and that if, if I would go with Western medicine and if that fails, then go to the alternative because there is also a huge placebo effect. They, what was really striking, somebody just tweeted, um, who would ever take the vaccine with these side effects? And that was the control group. It was 30 to 40% fatigue. And I think it's because we're all really tired with COVID and the current administration that 30 to 40 people, 30, 40% of people already have a baseline fatigue. So it's always important to look at a control. I've been talking to my audience and some said, your podcast is great, but it's so scientific. So oh, I, yeah, I just yeah. don't want to assume terminology. Absolutely. So just break down what control means and maybe help, help people understand um, the importance of clinical trials. Yes. And so the gold standard in medicine is a randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial. So double-blinded means neither the provider or the person taking the treatment know, is this person on the medication or not? And so when you have a placebo-controlled, for example, vaccine, one group needs to have an injection of just salt water, and then the other has an injection of the vaccine. And the control is the quote, 
empty, the nothing, and placebo um, is a sugar pill in the old days. So if I'm giving one person real birth control pills, they have hormones in them. And then the a control would be just taking a pill every single day, but it'd have sugar pills in it. Not like high sugar, but just something to, to hold flavor or something. And then you would check after a month to see who got pregnant, who didn't get pregnant, who got bone problems, who didn't get bone problems, who got cancer, who didn't get cancer. And so there is a baseline rate of cancer. And if you don't compare it to the baseline, then you may think that this drug is creating all this horrible stuff when it's not. And the examples there are um, autism and polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so the autism example is they're like, holy moly, everybody who's two years old that gets the measles, mumps, rubella gets autism. And the reason for that is that there is a baseline of, you know, 2% autism. And if you give a thousand people a vaccine, 2% of them will have autism, but it's not from the vaccine. It's because 2% of people were going to have autism anyway. And by having a control and a treatment group, you see, oh, in the, we gave them just salt water, you know, injection, they got 2% autism. And then in the vaccine, they got 2% autism. So it's not that the vaccine gave 2% autism. That's why you need the control is to compare the treatment group to the baseline. And then the PCOS I bring up is because people are like, oh my goodness, birth control made me infertile. So just so most of your listeners know, the pill, the patch, the ring, the IUD, the implant, all of those are out of your system within three days. The shot is a different matter because the shot sits in your fat and it could take nine months for it to get out. But all of those are out of your system in three days. And they're like, well, I was on the birth control pill and then I came off and I couldn't get pregnant. So the birth control pill made me sterile. And my joke is that the birth control pill patch ring makes you infertile while you're taking it because that's the goal that's birth control. But when you're off of it, it's out of your system in three days. And so the infertile part comes from PCOS. 10% of women will get PCOS in their life. And so if we take 100 women not on any birth control and we watch them from age 20 to 50, and then at 50, we check or 40, 35, when they want to get pregnant, we check and we go, hey, can you get pregnant? The group of women where we did nothing to one out of 10 will have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And therefore one out of 10 will have a hard time getting pregnant. And then you take the group of birth control women and then you watch them from age 20 to 35 and you take them off at 35. And one out of 10 of them will have a hard time getting pregnant. And that's not because of the birth control. It's because they have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So the fertility rates have been the studied exact where same. if you have PCOS. Exact same. And so actually, I was going to say that um, I gave a talk to a bunch of infertility specialists in Taiwan. And I was like, why am I here? I'm a birth control person. And what was great was that they shared with me for infertility, they actually used the birth control pill. And you're like, what? yes, a lot of and them do. Yes. Yeah. And so what it is, is that with polycystic ovarian syndrome, your hormones are whack. And so then when we put you on birth control, we shut everything down and we maintain you at a more normal level. And so PCOS people here, when you try to get pregnant, you're going to have a hard time trying to get pregnant, which is true without intervention. But, and so they think when they come off birth control, oh, I'll give it, you know, a couple months to wash out of my system and then I'll try to get pregnant. But the most normal their hormones will ever be, will be when they're on the birth control pill. And they really should, as soon as they come off the birth control pill, build that lining, bam, that is the best time for them to get pregnant. And that is what the infertility docs do. They calm all the hormones down and then they stimulate and then bam, get pregnant. And so ironically enough, birth control pills are used by infertility specialists to help women with polycystic ovarian syndrome get pregnant. So it doesn't make you infertile and in fact makes PCOS ladies fertile. And again, all of these things are out of your body within three days. And the reason why is the way they work. They keep your hormone up. And then if you decide to take the sugar pill and have that withdrawal bleed, then within two or three days of the hormones falling, you bleed. And so that's how you know it's out of your system because you bled it. But if you kept the hormone up, you wouldn't bleed. Help me understand then with the hormones, because so much of what has been of concern with the birth control is the artificial 
hormones and what that can do to the body. And to your point, you're right. Like what I'm hearing from you is if you have PCOS, it's not like it's going to increase, but some women do have issues, I guess you could say recovering once they've gotten off birth control. So part of me wonders, is it the way that clinical trials are designed that are not helping us get to the bottom of this? Or is it that people potentially have more concern than there is? So help me understand more about the concerns so many have about the artificial hormones. There are different approaches, right? The naturopath by definition is more into natural, right? That if it comes, and I absolutely agree, I do obesity work, that it is for nutrients and for health, it's much better if it's natural than if I give it to you in a vitamin. A vitamin exactly, as you said, is a quick fix. It's taking all the things that you couldn't eat by mouth from your vegetables, your fruit, whatever, putting it in a pill and giving it to you that way. And it's a question of, you know, when you are a naturopath, your tools are this. So your answer to everything is this. When you're um, allopath, an MD, your tools are drugs and surgery. So your answer to everything is drugs and surgeries. And you believe in drugs because that's why you became an MD instead of an ND, right? It's, 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 so it's, I don't know. I think they can come together if both sides bring the same scientific rigor and they absolutely can. I've absolutely seen studies where they did 50% sham acupuncture and 50% real acupuncture. I've seen 50% fake um, spinal manipulation and 50% true manipulation, you know? And so if you do those studies with those numbers, then we can talk. But if you're not going to have the data, then we are just talking in the air, right? Mm -hmm. We can't compare hearsay to data. It needs to be data to data. And I think there's a concern about artificial hormones, but the question is, you know, there's so many different hormones. There's so many different levels of hormones. That's the other thing I want to get across is that there are 40 different birth control pills. There are eight different progesterones. There are two or three different levels of estrogen and it matters how it comes to you. So if you get it intravaginally, it's a lower dose and it skips your stomach. If you take it by pill, it went through your stomach. If you get it by a patch, it's going to be a much higher level of estrogen. So one question you had brought to me is, in choosing artificial hormones, how do I choose the one that's best for me? And I think the key is sometimes you have to trust the expert. You know, I went to 12 more years education. I have studied the pharmacology. I went into medicine because I love science. Other people may have a brain that's amazing with words and art. And that's why you did this thing. And can you bone up on enough medicine to be equivalent to a physician who went to, you know, 12 plus extra years of education and has 20 plus years of experience prescribing birth control, looking at the side effects, looking at the differences by ethnicity versus you reading something on Google, you know, and reading a couple of articles. But I absolutely agree that sometimes you need to be the expert. We're actually publishing an article. What your doctor doesn't know could end you up pregnant because there's so many things that doctors need to know and not everybody can know everything and keep up with it all the time. And that's why I like specialists. I like the generalists. They're nice, touchy-feely people. But if I were sick, I would want the most specialists of the specialists because they've been studying this thing and they don't have to know all hundred things a little lightly. They know their one thing really deeply, really knowledgeable. And so because of my company, I've written 2000 birth control prescriptions in two years. And I've personally seen all the side effects to all the women. And academically, we used to say, use this birth control pill. But when you actually look at the science, this birth control pill is just as good. And in my clinical experience in not published, because I haven't, as you said, put it together to put it out academically, because it is a hassle to publish academically. I've noticed that this one is better for anybody who wants to skip their period. And particularly as an Asian American, and we've also seen it as an Asian, it has nothing to do with American, that I had to go through three different pills until I found one that worked for me. And if I had gone by the American standard, which is Caucasian, this one, and I kept trying it, I'm a doctor, so I'm very compliant. I can take it at the same time every single day. It just didn't work for me. It kept giving me breakthrough bleeding, but I'm like, this is the one everyone says I should be on. And I went to three other ones and finally went 
got here. And I want to save women the hassle of going through all these other. FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. So tell me about that journey then, because, you know, look, women are going to OBGYNs, not specialists. And, you know, even if you happen to live in a big city like I do in New York and I have access to some of the best in the world, my insurance isn't going to cover it. And right now they're not set up to look at necessarily the long-term impact. Things are changing. That's why startups are happening. They're changing the, the playing field for sure. But women are still in a position where most have access to either no healthcare, or if they do, they're going to the OBGYN, not the specialist. So given that, one thing I will advise women is if you do have the right questions, you should and can ask your specialist or your OBGYN, don't just go to the appointment, say I need the pill and leave. So if one word going to the OBGYN, who isn't the specialist, what should they ask? And when you said, oh, this is this third one worked for me, like what should a woman look for? Because look, there are women who are told by their moms, oh, your heavy period is normal. And we know that it likely isn't. So we aren't even trained on the baseline of what is normal. And so now we're like, (laughs) I mean, this is incredibly complex. So let's break it down. We don't want to overwhelm the women. So one is, what is normal? And two, how do they assess based on that, whether it's a pill, which pill, whether it's an IUD, whether it's a patch, like, can you break that down for us, please? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So first, what is normal? Um, One of the number one causes of missed school and work in a woman under the age of 25 is her period horrible pains, heavy bleeding, anemia from it, migraines from it, depression from it. And that is sad to me because it's something we can absolutely treat. So if you are missing school or work because of your periods, please see a medical professional and get treated. The first line treatment I'll give you for free is ibuprofen, 600 milligrams, three times a day with food. Do not take it on empty stomach or you come back to me with an ulcer (laughs) for up to five days and take it as soon as you know your period's coming. Because once it gets bigger and bigger, it's harder to stuff it back in the bag. You want to stop it before it blows up like a giant monster. Okay. And so 600 milligrams, three times a day with food ASAP for up to five days, that will decrease the amount of blood that comes out by 30% and therefore decrease the pain and decrease the overall situation. Failing that, go see somebody. So that is, and then also if you notice that your hands are cold, you're a little pale here and you're tired, you may have anemia. So please ask your physician to check you for anemia if you're feeling cold, tired, and pale. and craving meats all the time, then these are signs of anemia. Um, The other thing, you know, I believe in, I I like science and I like medications and I like hacks. And as I mentioned before, iron deficiency. So iron deficiency happens before anemia. And most doctors will be like, well, I'm not going to check you for iron deficiency unless you have anemia. But as I mentioned before, there's been two or three studies, not two or three, there's actually been at least three that I could cite to you in children showing that if you're iron deficient, but not anemic, you're going to have subpar mental performance 
you'll be at a greater risk for lower IQ, lower math scores, and for young girls dropping out of school. So um, if you have that and your doctor's willing, you can check for iron deficiency preceding anemia. And if you have that, then take some iron and then that'll bump you up so that you're at full mental capacity because our um, blood cells, if there's not enough of them, then that's called anemia. And the blood cells contain oxygen, which then lets us do the functions in our brain. So then how to choose um, as the only women found in women led, but more importantly, the only doctor-led company in birth control delivery, we will always tell you what's best for your health, even if it doesn't benefit our bottom line, because I can make money, but I don't need to do it pushing something that's not in your interest. And as the whole point of Pendia Health is to make women's lives better. So that's not going to happen if we lie or withhold information from you. So if you ask me what is the best birth control method out there, the IUD with hormone is one of the best methods out there because of its efficacy, as well as the implant. And also just set it and forget it. Um, the IUD with hormone, five to seven years. The implant is uh, three years, possibly. I think the latest research showed it could even go out to five years. My other thing I say is, you know, if you met this really amazing person with a penis and you had a uterus and you're like, I must reproduce with this person. I will never see them again. You could theoretically reach up, yank out your IUD and then let the uterus grow its lining. And then two weeks later, bam, right. impregnate yourself. So then may I ask a bold question? So if your company, I mean, right now, it seems like you're going to be expanding, but if currently you're focusing on male order birth control. And you just said the IUD is so great. Like, I guess, tell me more about that, but then also how you help women decide which is best for them. So we are here assuming, you know, which one you want Okay, um, that. And the reason is that I think 80% of the country is in a contraceptive desert where they can't access everything and all the options. And so we are a stop gap until you can access the IUD or the implant, because obviously okay. we can't do that by mail. Right. You know, and we're also here because different methods are good for different people. So the IUD with hormone only has progesterone, which is a great thing because yes. it doesn't have the blood clot risk of estrogen. Correct. But it's a negative thing because, as you mentioned, there isn't enough research. There isn't enough funding for women's health and birth control. There's only one hormone in the IUD. And as I mentioned, there's eight different hormones that you can choose from. And the hormone that's in the IUD is levonorgestrel, which is a very old school one and known to have more what I call man side effects. So bad for your lipids, acne, hairiness, but it's a lower dose. So maybe the women don't have as many side effects and I haven't heard as many side effects. But okay. again, if you're the one out of a hundred woman that gets a zit and you get a zit on this thing, you're not going to like it. And right. so also I'm a control freak with the IUD, 30% um, of women lose their period. And then the other 70% continue to bleed and, but it's lighter. But for me, if I have the ability to not bleed at all, it is amazing. And I have not bled for the past 11 years, as long as I take my medication. So um, I haven't tried the IUD with hormone, but with my luck, I'd be part of the 70% that's lighter and not the 30% where it goes away. And so for those who want absolute control with the pill, I have 40 different options that right. I'm pretty sure I could find one of them that will work for you. But with the IUD, it's this or nothing. Right. Same thing with the implant. There's only one implant with one drug. It's this or nothing. Got Though, it. interestingly enough, that implant has a derivative of the progesterone that I like. So the progesterone that I would recommend, this is my pearls gift to all your listeners, is desogestrel. So norgestimate was the one that, and a lot of physicians still think they're cutting edge and they prescribe norgestimate, but we found that it doesn't work as well in Asians, Latinas, and African-Americans. So right. desogestrel comes in a pill format. It is a birth that? control pill. It's estrogen okay. and desogestrel. The Got other it. tip for you all is I'm an adolescent medicine specialist focused on bone density is in the back of my mind, making sure that young women get 1200 milligrams of calcium each day, but also bone density. If your physician isn't as aware, or again, there's controversy amongst physicians, um, the children's um, of Pennsylvania hospital is of one group and the Stanford is of another group. And I'm at Stanford. So the Stanford doctor, believe if you are under 30, you should be on, if you're going to be on a pill, not saying you have to, but if you're going to be on a pill, be on one with at least 30 micrograms of estrogen because okay. less than that 
it's bad for your bone density. They've shown that if you're 20 micrograms and you compare it to somebody on 30 micrograms, your bone density is not good. Once you're 30 and above, we stop putting on that bone density. And so then you can go on whatever dose estrogen you want. But um, there's a new ring out. It's for a year. And I was like, this is amazing. We're going to blow away the IUD. Women could just stick it in the ring and leave it for a year. And you don't need to go and have this invasive procedure, but it's not that invasive. It's just getting access, going to the office, paying for that situation, missing work. And then they were like, oh, we're so proud that we have the lowest hormone. And I was like, oh, wait, how much estrogen do you have? Got it. 13 micrograms. Okay. And what did I just say? Should be 30. Right. Right. So if you're 30 and above, go for it. If you're below 30, I would, I would worry. And as you said, we don't have the research. We haven't done the research to see what is the long-term effect of somebody being on 13 micrograms of estrogen. We know with the pill at 20 micrograms, not good for your bones, 30 would be better. And so when they tested you know, this thing, they weren't looking at bone density. These are the unintended consequences that we will know with time. But right now we're living and my, you know, 14 year old daughter needs to know now, you know, right. 20 years from now, it's not going to help her to know she's screwed up now. Right. So let me ask you this question then around adolescence. One of the interesting facts that I learned in some of these other podcasts is when a youth first gets her period, it takes even up to 10 years for it to normalize. And what happens is there is concern that because of this lack of understanding, youth may be put on birth control too fast before the body can naturally get to its rhythm. Now, granted, I think everyone agrees if it's really bad periods, that's another question of what to do, but it shouldn't be assumed right away if it's bad, that that's forever and to start the birth control pill. So I'd love to get your expertise as an MD around your thoughts related to that point. So people just have both sides of it to make an effective decision for their young girls. So I think that um, I was, again, listening to Dr. Bryden's podcast with you. And I was like, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I totally agree. So yes, adolescent medicine, we teach all the pediatricians, but we don't teach family practice. We don't teach OB-GYN. We don't teach internal medicine. We teach pediatricians. Got it. Um, We do not teach those other specialties that it's totally normal to have whack periods for the first two years after you get your period. And if you really look at the research, the later you got your period, the longer you can have whack periods. But for me, from the scientific point of view is you were whack. That's why it took you so long to get your first period. And that's why you're still whack for three to five years to normalize your periods because there's something inherently different about you compared to the rest of us. But in the rule of thumb is for two years after you get your period, it can be totally irregular. And just so you know, for most pediatricians, they're really afraid of birth control pills. So they will not prescribe the birth control pill, but maybe a family practitioner, maybe uh, internal medicine or, you know, somebody else is more comfortable because they do it in adults and they kind of extrapolate down to kids and they're like, oh, your periods are weird. And what we teach adults is if a woman doesn't have a period for three months, she has polycystic ovarian syndrome. She has unopposed endometrial growth and she's at risk of endometrial cancer. And so in the name of preventing endometrial cancer, they want to help you clean out to block that unopposed endometrial growth at least three to four times a year. And so if you weren't a pediatrician trained by an adolescent medicine physician and you were like, oh goodness, you started your period and you haven't had it for three to six months, you might have uncontrolled endometrial growth. Let's throw some birth control pill at you. But most pediatricians won't touch birth control. And they I guess what would be your guidance then? Would you say parents wait a couple years? Um, Would you say- it depends. I mean, how would one know? I remember actually in junior high, when I got my period, my mom would have to come to school and give me new pants. I don't remember being a heavy bleeder. That sounds Um, like heavy. It must've been right. But yeah, I remember that. And it's funny. I was remembering it when I was reading one of the many um, women's health books that I've been um, going through. And I was like, oh my gosh, I remember like probably five times in junior high. Like that's awful. Right. 
So what, you know, again, I know you'd have to assess every single patient. So I know your advice is not a blanket statement, but what should parents consider for these young girls? Yeah. So know that it can be totally irregular for the first two years. You do not need to go on birth control pill, patch or ring if it's irregular, but if it's happening like every week and she's resulting in anemia, tired, cold, or if there's excessive bleeding or it's so horrifically painful, she's missing school then obviously you should, you know, do some treatment of some sort. But if it's just irregular and it's gone for three months or whatever, we write it off as fine for the first two years after um, the period. And as I mentioned, if you really want to get nitty gritty on the research, um, they've shown if you start later, we'll give you three years to be whack. Got it. Two years is rule of thumb before we start looking into things like ordering a whole bunch of labs or doing a bunch of interventions. And then in terms of amount of blood, if you're bleeding through your clothing, then either you weren't, you didn't have anything and you weren't prepared, but that sounds like excessive blood to me, you know? <laughs> and um, as others have mentioned on your podcast, the, ma- the normal amount of blood is 30 to, nine, to 80 cc's. So 30 is two tablespoons and, you know, times three is the maximum amount of blood. And generally, you know, it's brown. If it's bright red all over, that has gone too far. And um, the interesting thing is, and we don't do much of it nowadays, is don't take aspirin because aspirin thins your blood and will make it run more. And although ibuprofen does a similar thing, um, it has effects on the muscle of the uterus and the contractions and stuff. And so by putting the ibuprofen, you actually have less blood loss. That's one of the contradictory things. And a lot of physicians actually don't know that. Uh, again, it takes a specialist who's focused right. on the uterus and bleeding to know that the ibuprofen will decrease it. But if your daughter is bleeding through clothing, um, I'd actually say you should get checked for von Willebrand's disease. That is the first um, appearance of von Willebrand's disease in a young woman. And she gets her first period and she wakes up and there's blood all over the bed. And hopefully she didn't lose so much blood that she needs to be transfused. But that is like in the physician said, you need to draw the lab test. An ER doctor needs to draw the lab test for one Willebrand's disease before they treat you. Because once okay. they treat you with hormone, it messes up the levels and they can't measure it accurately. Okay. Got so, it. No, that's um, very helpful. And one quick question. Um, clearly, we could do like a five-hour podcast on this. Is yeah. You mentioned brown blood. So my understanding is if it's brown, it means it's left over from the previous cycle and that your um, uterus didn't properly clear out. And in you know the acupuncture Chinese medicine world, that is not the best thing. So you mentioned it should be brown. When I understand from them, it's not so great if it starts out brown. What's your perspective? <laughs> I haven't actually, you know, studied the color much of the, the blood. Um, I have to just speak from personal experience. And again, I've been on the birth control pill forever. So I don't have quite, you know, normal periods. They're not, um, they're withdrawal bleeds, et cetera. But starting out, I remember, I don't know, your first period sound probably bright red blood. My first period was brown and it was like, is this poo or, is it, you know, like what orifice is this coming from? Right. This is at age 12. And so um, I don't, when I see bright red blood for me, I've bled too far. See what I mean? Like, cause my family, and again, it's individual. My family bleeds like stink. And so um And and so when we hit bright red blood, that means I've bled too much, you know, um, that I've gone beyond just shedding the lining and now I've hit a vein or artery and it's bleeding, you know? Okay. But, um, so don't, don't take my word on it, but I I think it's the amount of blood and the speed of the blood. Right. And it's obviously going to be more blood if it's bright red than if it's just dead tissue cleaning out. Right. Well, I really appreciate your time and I am so grateful that we connected and had the the great debate on email because I, I truly, truly do believe that women have a right to hear all sides to be able to make decisions. And I, I think there's still no perfect answer, but honestly with women's health, I, I don't know how much there ever will be because each person's body is so different and we just do the best we can with the data. And, you know, I think hopefully what women understand here is if you're still not feeling right with whatever you're doing, keep asking questions and keep seeking advice because, you know, again, there isn't this perfect answer. 
so I'll let you close by, you know, what is your greatest hope for women's health? You know, know that if you're bleeding one week out of four, you don't have to. We have the technology to turn that off and it can decrease your risk of endometrial, ovarian and colorectal cancer. There is a slight risk of breast cancer and you have to look at those risks and weigh them with your provider or, you know, with your own self and decide the benefits and the risks. And I believe that it's more natural to have 100 periods in our lives than to have 350 to 400. In my ideal world, we would have a safe way to turn off your periods. And then when you want to have a baby, we'll bring it on. That would be my ideal world. Another ideal world is that we have enough money to fund all the birth control options that I would love. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time. And I'll definitely put the information you shared in the show notes so that people can have easy access to the links and truly appreciate your time and your clear passion for this topic. Thank you for tuning into this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health Podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.